This month's Beyond Education That Counts is a bit different. I recently had the privilege of interviewing Chris Fisher, the blind woodturner. There's a lot of interest in schools around resilience. Well, now hear it from a man who has done it for real. Since childhood, I've been severely deaf. All right, okay. Okay. And and that's bothered me at times because, uh, you know, the, the residual hearing is not great. And you often think, well, if I lost that, this would be an issue. It's always been there for me. You know, it, it's, I can't remember a time when uh, pardon was not part of my vocabulary, really. Your blindness came on later in life, didn't it? Yeah, it was uh, October 2008. So I, in essence, I went, I went blind overnight, woke up with a severe visual impairment, and it was a Sunday and didn't know what was causing it and didn't know if it would clear up later on in the day. So it subsequently didn't get any better throughout the day. So... We were talking and was talking to my ex-wife at the time and, you know, we said, well, should we go to the doctor or, you know, the optician? So I said, well, let's go to the optician because he's got all the kit, especially. So we got an appointment the following day at at the local optician and my eyes were non-responsive, wouldn't dilate, wouldn't contract, both to light stimulus and eye drops. So... He said, well, I'll, I'll have a look at the back of your eyes anyway. So he had a look and he said, both of your eyes at the back are swollen, you know, obviously non-responses. So uh, he said, there's something quite drastic going on and, you, you know, you, you, your vision's nothing to talk about. So uh, I'd like you to go to the Manchester Eye Hospital as, you know, as as an urgent referral. So uh, we we got in should have I should have gone the following day one of my well probably my favorite band uh level 42 oh yes uh, yeah. yeah yeah we're playing uh and it had been arranged for me to meet them and have a drink with them by a mutual friend and fellow fan so I said there's no way I'm missing that and with hindsight pun intended it was the best call because that that was the last time I ever saw level 42 I've been to concert since but you know without being able to see them obviously mm-hmm. but uh yeah it was the day after the level 42 concert that we went to the eye hospital and initially they thought well it could be early onset macular degeneration it could be this arthritic form of blindness called uvitis and they said well we're going to give you these eye drops and go away and in a couple of days come back went home it didn't clear up the drops didn't do anything went back and he went, right, yeah, well, we're still just, you know, not sure what's causing this. And it was back and forth to the hospital then every day. And within that first week, my eyesight started going completely. Instead of it being just a blurriness, it started disappearing. Cut a long story short, four weeks later, uh, I'd had a brain scan to rule out a brain tumour. Uh, I had an angiogram. The, the diagnosis was uh, toxoplasmosis, which had uh, obviously got to my retinas, 
and the prognosis was complete and irreversible blindness done forever the the consultant said you know obviously there's nothing we can do we'll we'll get in touch with your uh, social services in your area uh let the sensory teams and rehab take over now and obviously we'll register your blind uh, that was it there was nothing they could do and that, uh, that sort of, oh we'll register you as blind was like okay overnight that's it well, pretty much, in fairness, the consultant was very nice and, you know, he said, I'll do whatever I can to make sure you get, you know, any entitlements and help you are, you know, entitled to benefits and things. Uh, luckily, I had uh, critical illness cover protection on the mortgage, mm-hmm. which only paid out for terminal illness, complete paralysis or complete blind. Uh, luckily, luckily, he says, uh, I fell into the complete blindness category, so I got paid out £55,000. Isn't a huge sum of money, but it was a big chunk paid off the mortgage. Uh, so, yeah, that was it. The, and the machinery took over then, and uh, sensory team workers came, and, you know, they brought a couple of gadgets, your liquid level indicator for brewing up, and your long cane, your signal cane, and, uh and then it was right this is how we're going to make a sandwich from now on without you losing fingers and this is how you chop an onion and this is how you brew up and you know even at the the time you know this is how you have a shave and brush your teeth because everything becomes a considered action you know obviously you, you know your hearing is severely impaired uh which is very traumatic and there are lots of disabilities which are, you know, hugely traumatic, you know, amputees and spinal injuries and, uh, you know, in their own right, they are a life-changing situation. But to go completely blind, you're you're in a completely different scenario because, you know, uh, I know that a lot of deaf people still drive, you know, you're allowed to drive. Uh, You know, if I was an amputee or a spinal uh casual see you know you can get adapted vehicles and drive and you can still see your children and your family and the colors of the flowers and the sky and you know you can just pick a book up and you can watch telly as normal and you go completely blind you are screwed massively it must have taken a great deal just to adjust to mentally adjust to, to to cope with the massive change that has come into your life yeah you know, it's that that first year. I mentally, I was, I was feeling healthy, and there was that much going on. You know, with the rehabilitation, and they were setting up a, a support worker for me, a carer, and you know, trying to get me enrolled on a course or two for the blind. So there was a lot going on, and that was a period of readjustment. It was a year after going blind that I was doing a cookery course. At Bolton College for the one day I, I just I was very quiet and my, my tutor she said what's wrong Chris you know this isn't like you not to be asking questions and you know discussing things so I said I feel really really ill and she said you don't look too good you look a bit peaky there so I said can you take me to the toilet and I was sick you know I vomited my bowels were, were off and I had a full-blown panic attack 
So they arranged for a taxi to take me home and went home. And then that was the start of what was going to be four years then of seriously debilitating mental illness and anxiety. And the symptoms of my anxiety manifested in many ways. And they were uh, panic attacks, hot flushes, being sick, you know, just scared to death of everything hallucinations, insomnia, you know, all this sort of stuff, going out with my carer to go to the bank or the shop and then just having a full-blown panic attack and, you know, uh, him having to take me home or he'd turn up to take me out and I'd say, you know, I feel terrible today and can we just stay at home? And, you know, and then suicidal thoughts as well. I felt that ill and I was just so tired of feeling that way that I was thinking of ending my life. I didn't because uh, my son was approaching nine years of age at the time. And, you know, I had a good family and support network. If I'd have been a bachelor, yes. I wouldn't be here. I guarantee you I'd have been off. If I was on my own, I'd have gone. I, was, I felt that bad. Yeah. And I just couldn't come to bring myself to end my life because of Charlie, if I'm honest, my son. So, uh, which is a good enough reason yes. for hanging around. Yeah. You know, if, if you need a reason, you know, it's your, it's your nine-year-old boy. So, and obviously, you know, the whole family was upset. Charlie was going to school and getting emotional and breaking down and he was having pastoral care at school. You know, because, you know, my dad can't see and, you know, we can't go for a bike ride anymore and he can't watch Italian. I was learning to fly. I was studying for my PPL and I was a, a keen motorcyclist as well. And you lose all of that. And, yeah, it's like someone pulling the plug and your brain cannot process what's happened. And because your eyesight takes a plays a part in everything that we do, you, your brain is going to respond. And in my case, it responded by you know, crippling anxiety. So, yeah, that lasted for about four years. And I had counselling with the RNIB, 12 sessions of bereavement counselling, which helped immensely. My counsellor was called Marius, a great guy. And we talked through uh, things that were on my mind and even going back to, you know, growing up and, you know, what, you know, what sort of childhood did you have and things like that and allaying any fears that I might have and, you know, putting my, my mind at ease and, teaching me coping mechanisms and my doctor also put me on anti-anxiety medication escitalopram which I still take I still get anxious with being blind but it's controllable now and I just get a bit quiet and withdrawn if I'm going to a new place that I've not been before so I'm not aware of the environment or any hazards even though I've got a guide dog uh, and then once I'm there for a couple of hours I'll I'll bounce back uh, so but before before blindness struck, what were you doing in terms of your career? Uh, yeah, I was working for BMW, uh, doing body work. So uh, very hands-on. I've always had hands-on jobs, never wanted to have an office job as such. Wanted to be, you know, in engineering, fixing things and making things. You see, there's, uh, a, there's, a, there's a lot of talk around at the moment about resilience. You know, basically, do you remember that terrible song a few years ago by Shawumba Wumba? I get knocked down and clearly by the look on your face, you don't. So let's move on from that song. Well, it's the band was Chumba Wumpa. Yes. 
Yeah, they were from Leeds. Were they? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah, no, I know the song very well. I think some of the later lines in it um, probably we shouldn't go into. I think they're less helpful. But what was it that began the significant bounce back from mm. this place that you'd found yourself? It was just, you know, before going blind, I was, you know, very pragmatic, cheeky. Again, loved the excitement and the thrill of motorcycling and learning to fly. Huge passion for aviation. And, uh, yeah, coming out the other side of the anxiety, I started getting that zest for life again. Those men in sheds love to tinker and be fixing and building things, and that was beginning to bubble up again. And I'm also a huge fan of horror films, and I love horror films and I love Halloween and I used to put on this great Halloween yard haunt for the kids a cemetery and uh, I built an electric chair that vibrated when the kids sat on it and I had a dungeon and a, a gazebo full of UV back black light lit clowns and I dressed up as a horror clown with a chainsaw you know and the kids used to love it I put on this great really you know going all in like the Americans do uh, and I thought I'd love a vampire steak as a Halloween prop. And I particularly love the, the vampire genre of films, but not these Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know, American college kids, you know, yeah. some visceral, yeah. proper nasty vampires. But I do have a huge passion for the Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, yeah. 1958 Terence Fisher original Hammer films. Love that. So wanted a vampire steak. Didn't just want to whittle a stick. I thought I can do better than that. So uh, I thought, right, I've got, I've got a mission here. There's something I want to do, and I'm going to flip and do it. So I listened to YouTube for 600 hours. Yeah, that's what we've calculated it at. So every day, you know, uh, everyone had left the house, work and school, got my laptop out, which had screen reading software on, treated it like going to school every day and listened to endless videos on wood turners and you know by people that i did then and still consider you know very talented wood turners you know and i was assimilating all this information the terminology the jargon machinery health and safety ppe uh tools and techniques sanding finishing so i'm building all this mental imagery and remembering that i was from an engineering background and yeah, you know, I, I had used lathes, machinist lathes, and you know, turret lathes and things in the past. Million machines it wasn't a huge leap of faith for me to start formulating pretty accurate mental imagery. So, uh, yeah, after six hundred hours, I thought I can't put this off any longer. So I bought a lathe, got a set of tools and gouges, got some wood, and taught myself just by talk. You know, the first couple of weeks, you know, were spent ducking as things come off the lathe. <laughs> as you do and, you know getting whacked in the in the face shield and you know in in those days having to sit down for half an hour thinking what just happened and why did it happen but with practice and tenacity you realize that the the dovetail wasn't as good as it could have been when you're trying to hold it with the chuck and things like that you know just speeds and you know uh catches and so yeah it took me about six weeks of work to get my vampire steak, just spindle turning all the time. And uh, I got my vampire steak. And from that, I thought, right, I'm totally hooked now. So let's have a go at a candlestick and a goblet and a honey dipper, all this, you know, spindle turning with a bit of hollowing out like a goblet and 
Mm. Again, still having lots of catches, still having to sit down for half an hour to have a cup of tea and calm down and, you know, <laughs> just really pushing myself. Yeah. And what was so remarkable to me, if I said to somebody, I'm a, a hard of hearing wood turner, mm. they're going to say something like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> I mean, nobody can be unmoved by that story and think, what on earth possessed this man to attack yeah. a spinning piece of wood he couldn't see? It I is know, incredible, isn't it? It is. And, you know, at the time I was sharpening tools with a high-speed grinder and a Wolverine jig, and that was terrifying. If anything was going to – into yeah, in wood turning, there's two things that are going to put me in hospital very quick, you know, and – one of the oh sorry no in woodworking not wood turning two things uh, I would never use a scroll saw I guarantee I would be in A and E the same day because you know you have to get your fingers in very close in the steel yeah, yeah. couldn't do that not a chance uh, and also using a high speed grinder to sharpen my tools that was so scary when those things they started and it sounded like a turbine spooling up and it's like oh my god and you're there terrifying. But I had to do it. That was I wasn't aware of Tormek at the time and things like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, lots and lots of trepidation and fear and anxiety. But for every sketchy moment I had, I had these moments of success. And for me, that success translated into euphoria. And it's like I can't believe I've done this, and that's amazing. And people going, "Wow, that's pretty cool." That and. Yeah, uh, you couldn't make me one, could you? And it's like, yeah, you know, that's when I pretty much got into pen turning as well because people were saying, you know, pen turning's great and if if a pen blank is going to let go on the lathe, you know, it's not going to be catastrophic. So that appealed to me. I could do something there as well that was, you know, just mm. if I was feeling a bit anxious, I could do a bit of pen turning and not feel like, you know, my life was in my hands every day. So I uh, started making pens and, oh, that was really good and started getting pen commissions and, it, yeah, it just went from there and, you know, loved every minute in the workshop. And, you know, even to this day, I still get nervous. You know, I, I do have to visit the toilet before I start turning every day because it is a very dangerous thing I'm doing. And, you know, you get, I'm psyching myself up like flipping heck. You know, I'm really using a very powerful machine here with very sharp tools. But as soon as I've made that first cut, that's it. It's just like, whoa, I know why I do this now. Uh, and that keeps me safe, though, as well. Not getting complacent, it keeps me massively safe. But the stuff you produce, having having seen, well, I've only seen photographs of it. But I look. This is not the novelty item. Oh my goodness! Here's a piece of wood hacked to death by mm. a, a wood turner who can't see. Mm. This stands up alongside sighted turners any day, mm. and that's. Well, that's incredibly impressive. Yeah, and, you know, me and a couple of my, well, especially, well, Nathan, who's one of my students who has cerebral palsy, who in his, you know, early years at high school was written off, but that's another story. He, Me and him have set up this uh, Instagram account called Turnability, and we're sort of like partners in crime on it. And, you know, we say what the mind can perceive the body will achieve, and that's true to a certain degree and it takes us extra time because we have this you know disability and but give us the time and we'll get there and we'll do something that we're proud of and will inspire others so quickly 
sort of like early on in my wood turning career, I knew that I wasn't going to be a production turner. Yeah. For yeah. the simple reason, really, the amount of time, because I have to start, stop, feel, start, stop, feel. Yeah. If someone yeah. ordered from me 50 stair spindles, the time involved in me to do that with a, a level of accuracy, the time involved would be prohibitive. They'd be waiting forever and the cost would spiral. Yeah. You know, yeah. because I say, well, I've been working on this for three years now. So, you know, so I quickly knew that wasn't my forte. And also with being blind, I was drawn to the tactile and sensory element. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was listening then to Nick Agar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Nick Agar and Mark Sanger, you know, these great wood turning artists. You know, I wanted to be an artist. A lot of wood turning is, is craft. You know, it falls yeah. into crafts. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, people are turning 20 honey dippers and, you know, and they're all the same. That's great. I wanted to be a very expressive and creative wood-turning artist like Nick Agar, my hero, who is a very dear friend of mine, and it was Nick who taught me how to power carve. I was lucky to spend the day with him. Uh, Nicola uh, got me a a day with him before he moved to America. And, you know, yeah, I'm continually pushing myself, and my work is exhibited in a gallery in Ashbourne, and people love my abstract work. You know, and it's a challenge. And I love just because I can't see colours, why shouldn't I incorporate colours into my work? You know, and again, it's expressive and, you know, I'm appealing to, you know, a different sort of clientele because it's predominantly a ceramics gallery, you know. And now I'm doing this work, I'm throwing a load of texture at and colour and, you know, people are coming into the gallery and going, wow, that's amazing. and Matthew, the owner, was like, "Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's actually a piece of beach or sycamore." And they go, "What? It looks like metal or right. you know, chrome and things like this and bronze and or it looks like a pot, a turned pot, you know." And it's like, "Well, that's yeah." And then they'll buy a piece, and then uh, they'll go, "Right, I'll tell you now that the chap that's made that is completely blind," and they'll go, "No way!" And then he'll show them some video of me when I've been on uh, TV yep. or the BBC or Google and things, and they'll go flipping out, and here's, a, here's Chris in Derbyshire life. And then, you know, they'll say, right, well, anything else he makes, send us a photograph. So I am starting to be collected now. Isn't by, that brilliant? Yeah, but you by... backtrack a bit. I was, I was fascinated. You're not just turning, you're teaching. And it I'm seems teaching to me, as well, yeah. talking about your, the student you've got, who has mm. cerebral palsy. Mm. And um, it seems that the turning itself is becoming a vehicle mm. for changing people's lives. Yeah, very much so. And that's always been at the core of why we went so public in what we're doing and you know, doing the demonstrations to inspire and motivate as many people as we can from all walks of life, disabled or able-bodied, you know, let, let's, you know, light a fire under people's backsides and say, look, you've always wanted to do this. What's stopping you? There's honestly nothing stopping you apart from you. And I'm telling you, you can do it. You are amazing. Everyone says, oh, the blind wood turn is amazing. I always say to students and friends and, you know, I had a blind lady call me yesterday and she wanted a bit of a chat and a bit of inspiration. You know, you, you are amazing. Everybody's amazing. 
yeah, it's great therapy for for us and lets us forget our disabilities and our worries and paying the bills and like, you know, you said the cars, your cars uh, gone in for repair, you know. You know, it stops you thinking about that when you're creative and you're in the zone. Nothing else matters. And, you know, if I can offer that to a student, you know, to give them a bit of respite through creativity, you know, that's that's an amazing gift for them and for me. And I love to pay it forward. And it would be so easy for someone with a disability to say, I'm here, feel sorry for me, give me my benefits run me here, do that, let me just sit down in the in the lounge and listen to the radio. Not for me at all. We wanted to do our bit, pay it forward, inspire people. Nicola is this amazingly gifted business advisor, mentor and business strategist. That's her profession. So she's always there, you know, pushing me and inspiring me. And she she manages everything I do. You know, I couldn't I I can't set up a Zoom Mm-hmm. meeting like this so Nicola's involved she books my demos she enters into dialogue with everyone sponsors the BBC she does everything for me I've got the easy job really you know Chris someone's commissioned this right right I'll go and make a start and then I do my bit and then in the background Nicola's done you know 30 hours worth of you know dialogue and she wants an audit and a paper trail and you know everything's really done very professionally and yeah it's it's amazing to have support like that but she is pushing me all the time and I'm pushing myself and I want to push others to you know to achieve their their own ambitions and their own dreams and you know Nathan with cerebral palsy was here three weeks ago and he spent the weekend studying and he turned he'd, he'd been bought the Nick Agar Viking Sunset Bowl kit for Christmas so he said, I want to do the Viking Bowl. So he did that. He entered it into his wood turning competition at his club uh, on Tuesday night and won. You know, the lad here with cerebral palsy. So he has obviously uh, poor motor skills, poor speech, but his brains are sharp as anybody's. He entered this bowl. He turned under my, you know, uh, tutelage and he won. And it's amazing. And he wants to be the first turner with cerebral palsy to be accepted onto the register of professional turners. You know, and he will he will do it. He will do it. You know, and I'm I'm the only blind person to have passed the accreditation and been accepted. That's not to say, you know, there won't be others. And I want others to push themselves and step out of their comfort zone and uh, and do honestly what, what they want to do and be so passionate and fired up about what they're doing uh and it, it is it is just attainable by anybody it's certain things we couldn't do i couldn't be a fighter pilot or a police officer but apart from that you know i'll give anything a go i'm I'm slightly concerned by those last comments because as they go around your mind you're thinking mm-hmm. perhaps in fact, perhaps in fact <laughs> i'd give the, i'd give the fighter pilot a go <laughs> you know uh so uh if I if I could ask you one question, you see, my passion for many many years has been education, uh-huh. and both with adults working in education, and also with a number of people that I've worked with as a coach outside of uh, the educational field, and then again a lot of young people. Mm. Nobody ever promised that life was a smooth, easy path. 
yeah. that many people trip over or are knocked over, mm. and many of them never get up. Mm. And I just wonder if there's one thing that you could share that a piece of advice that would help people get up off the floor and go on and seize life. Yeah, it would it would be really to instill in them uh the knowledge that they are amazing and they can do anything and also never be ashamed to ask for help. You know, if 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 you if you're stuck and you need some help, ask for it. You know, the the, the bravest of people are the ones that will say, I'm struggling, can you help? I, I I've never been afraid to ask for help. And mm. It can be it can be a real turning point that in your life if you've plateaued or you've just not quite got the self belief or confidence at a certain point, you know if you ask somebody, you know and and then you can get past that sticking point. You you can be off and running then, and your life can never be the same. So you know believe in yourself. You are amazing. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you can't do this. You've got it. And, you know, nothing's handed to you in life. You've got to put the hours in, you've got to put the work in, but it is so achievable, you wouldn't know. You know, just you need some tenacity and self-belief and confidence, but remember to have lots of fun and find time to act silly every day. The, the sky is the limit, it truly is. And, you know, when when I, when I was a child, I'm sure my brother, you know, my dad used to say, look, you can be anything in life if you put your mind to it. That wasn't a hollow promise. It was true. Mm. But, you know, you have to work for it. Yeah, I would just, I would urge people to never, ever give up. We all have bad days, like you just said, and you can be feeling a bit under the weather. And it's okay. It's perfectly okay to have some time out. We need time out. You know, if if you've got coping mechanisms and you're struggling mentally, yeah, employ them. Mm. But never ever give up. Never ever give up. You know, it's it's perfectly fine to just step back for a day or two if you need. But you know, always have the focus to re-engage and attack that problem again. You know, I get a lot of pleasure from being sort of offered a problem in the workshop and working that problem. And solving that problem and it's again you get a great sense of satisfaction from saying you know wow i thought you know that wasn't going to be achievable but i thought a bit laterally there and i've got it done and you know here it is and anybody can do anything just remember you are amazing and you can do it chris it has been an absolute privilege talking to you and i want to say thank you so much for making yourself available, sharing so very personally mm. and sparing the time. The amazing and hugely talented blind woodturner Chris Fisher. Next month, the podcast focuses on safeguarding. So meanwhile, thank you for listening and do please pass the podcast details on to anybody else you think might be interested. Mm-hmm.